Good day, and welcome back to Latin from the Church of St. Agnes. Today we will be exploring the grammar contained in Unit 25 of John Collins' book, A Primer of Ecclesiastical Latin, beginning on page 213. Now the grammar in this lesson, if you've been following along with our Latin classes in Latin 2, is largely a review of things that I've covered previously, even though it was not covered in Collins as such. So the first thing that uh, we see in Unit 25 is the pluperfect subjunctive. And if you recall your lesson uh, a few times ago, oh, we talked about the formation of the pluperfect subjunctive. Uh, the pluperfect subjunctive in the active is formed by going to the third principal part of a verb, uh, for instance, laudo, laudare, laudavi, dropping the I and adding isse, which happens also to be the uh, perfect infinitive. The infix isse, I-S-S-E, and then to that we add the endings M-S-T, M-U-S, T-I-S, and N-T. So, uh, as you see there on page one, uh, 213, Lauda visem, lauda vises, lauda viset, lauda visemus, lauda visetis, lauda visent, and so on. For any conjugation, the third principal part, drop the I, add ISSE, and then the active endings MST, MUS, TIS, and NT. Uh, you will recall that the passive is formed from the uh, fourth principal part, and the imperfect of the verb to be uh, in the subjunctive. So we have, as you see on page 214, laudatus a um, and then we append to that as a separate word, sm, ss, set, samus, setis, sent, and so on. For any conjugation, take that fourth principal part, and you use the imperfect of the subjunctive to make the, the pluperfect passive subjunctive. We'd already covered that. And um, it's by way of review. You can see your full conjugations of the verbs. I remind you back in the morphology section at the end of the book. So we know that formation already, and this is a, a nice little review. And we also have uh, a review of conditional clauses that we talked about earlier. We talked about contrary to fact conditions, conditions which Collins talks about and calls them contrafactual conditions. These are conditions that are contrary to fact. And at the time of uh, the presentation of the present contrary to fact condition, I mentioned also the formation of the past contrary to fact condition. And this is what we get today. So just to review, remember, a contrary fact condition sets up a condition that is, as the name says, contrary to fact. If I were you, I would study my Latin diligently. But I'm not you, if I were you. That's a present contrary to fact condition. And remember, for a present contrary to fact condition, we use two imperfect subjunctives, one in each clause, in the C clause and in the conclusion, in the protasis and the apodosis. Now, a contrary to fact past time condition 
uses the pluperfect subjunctive in both clauses. And it shows past time contrafactually. So if we look at the examples that Collins gives on page 214 at the bottom, take a look and we'll see how this works. See Paulus fuiset hic felices fuisemus. If Paul had been here, but he was not, contrary to fact. Notice it's past time. Fuiset is the pluperfect subjunctive of the verb sum esse fui, to be. If Paul had been here, felices fuisemus, we would have been happy. We would have been happy. So, uh, this is a contrary to fact condition, and in English, we use the had word, the had helping verb. Uh, uh, let's take a look at the next one, uh, another example. Nisi filius dei in mundum misus esset. Misus esset, third conjugation of the verb mito. It's a pluperfect subjunctive passive. If the Son of God had not been sent into the world, nisi misus esset, had not been sent, salvi non facti essemus, we would not have been saved. So this is also a passive pluperfect subjunctive. Salvi non facti essemus, facti essemus, we would have been made safe. We would not have been made safe, non facti essemus. So, two pluperfect subjunctives. If the Son of God had not been sent into the world, we would not have been saved. So, the difference between a present contrary to fact condition, if I were you, present time, now I'm saying this, if I were you, I would study my Latin. Present contrary to fact, two imperfect subjunctives used in Latin. If I had been you, I would have studied my Latin. Past contrary to fact. Notice in English, we use the, con, uh, the helping verb had been, so on. If I had been you, but I was not, then I would have studied my Latin. So, that completes our contrafactual conditions. We had earlier the, the contrafactual or uh, contrary to fact present time condition. Remember the formula is an imperfect subjunctive in each clause. And now we have the past contrary to fact or past contrafactual condition, a pluperfect subjunctive in each clause. So again, by way of uh, in, uh, review, we had talked about this earlier when I presented to you the uh, contrary to fact present time condition. And uh, now we're just seeing this uh, as Collins presents it a bit later. So we've had the pluperfect subjunctive now and the contrary to fact past time condition. And now we come upon two other points of grammar that are new and not review. These are two more uses of the subjunctive. And the first one here on page 215 in section 133 are called clauses of fearing or fear clauses. Now this is a particularly uh, strange clause in Latin. 
Um, these are clauses that are introduced by a verb of fearing or a verb that denotes some sort of fear in the subject. And then the clause that follows is placed in the subjunctive. But the strange thing about these clauses is that they are introduced by ne or ut, but just in an opposite way from which we've come to think about them. In other words, a positive fear clause is introduced by ne, and a negative fear clause is introduced by ut. Let me repeat that. A positive fear clause is reduced, introduced by ne, and a negative fear clause is introduced by ut. Now, if you read the little paragraph that Collins uh, uh, pens there, you'll see his explanation. He says, a verb of fearing may have as its object a, sub a subjunctive clause introduced by ne or ut. Since in a verb of fearing there is the implied desire for the opposite of a state of action, Nay, quite logically introduces an affirmative clause and ut a negative. Well, I don't know if I'd call it quite logically, but actually the explanation of the fear clause that you will find in most grammar books is that the clause is actually a, uh, um, a combination of two uh, clauses. So we would say um, in this particularly first, take a look at this first example. Paulus timet ne Romani petrum interfecturi sint. Paul fears, there's your verb introducing a fear clause, any verb that means fear or uh, some fright or some danger can introduce a fear clause. Paul fears, and then we have the ne, which is going to introduce a positive fear clause, that Romani, the Romans, Interfecturi sent are going to or are about to kill Patrum, Peter. Now, the way that most grammar uh, books explain the fear clause is that originally in Latin it was conceived of as two clauses. Paulus timet, Paul is afraid. And then we have ne plus the subjunctive showing a negative wish. Paul is afraid. Oh, let the Romans not kill Peter. And those two clauses, the, the fear clause, the fear uh, introduction, Paul is afraid, Paul fears, and then the actual wish of not a thing happening, may the Romans not kill Peter, nay plus the subjunctive. That's how a positive fear clause was then put together as one clause. So whether you uh, remember it as Collins explains it or as most grammar books uh, explain it as the combination of two clauses, I fear, oh, may this not happen with nay plus the subjunctive. The point is that nay plus the subjunctive will introduce a positive fear clause. And the opposite will be uh, shown by introducing a fear clause with ut. Take a look at the example. Paulus timuit, Paul feared, ut Corinthii essent fidelis, that the Corinthians were not being faithful. So when you see the ut, 
introduced by a fear clause word, then you know it's a negative fear clause. This, of course, is counterintuitive. Um, you don't need to remember all of the uh, grammatical explanations or so on. Just remember that when you see a verb of fearing in the main clause, a verb that means literally to fear or a verb that connotes some sort of fearing or danger or something uh, like that happening, and then you see ne or ut plus the subjunctive, that is a fear clause. Ne will introduce a positive fear clause and, uh, or an affirmative fear clause, and ut will introduce a negative fear clause. One more time, if we look at the examples, Paul fears that, nay, the Romans were about, are about to kill or going to kill Peter. In the second example, Paul feared ut, that the Corinthians were not being faithful, essent fideles. Even though there's not a known there, the ut introducing a negative fear clause shows that it's in the negative. Okay, so that's a rather strange clause in Latin, and just remember that clauses of fearing are that way. I think if you remember um, the idea of saying something like, I'm afraid, may it not happen, that nay then makes sense in a positive fear clause. Okay, now our final, or our uh, actually penultimate piece of uh, grammar here in this unit is unattainable wishes. We remember that you can express a wish in something that we call the present or the optative subjunctive. But there are unattainable wishes in Latin, and these usually are, are uh, expressed with the imperfect or pluperfect subjunctives and introduced by a word called uh, word utinam. Uh, it's a sign word that's used very often to introduce an unattainable wish. Now, if you think about it, the idea of using the uh, imperfect or pluperfect subjunctive, depending on the tense you want to express, is uh, logical because, uh, remember, we use the imperfect and pluperfect subjunctives in contrafactual conditions, didn't we? Um, we just learned or reviewed uh, one of our contrafactual conditions, the pastime condition there on page 214. And the unattainable wish is a kind of similar usage, but it's introduced usually by a word, the word utinam, and it's a wish that's unattainable. So let's take a look at how it's shown in the present time there on uh, section 134, letter A, present time. Um, utinam Petrus ad hook viveret. Would that, now this is something that we, we don't really say in English anymore, would that, but the idea is I wish that. Uh, would that or I wish that Peter ad hook viveret were still living. Notice that Peter were still living, but he's not, right? It's an unattainable wish. It's like the contrafactual condition oh, I wish that, or would that Peter were still living. I wish that he were still living, but he's not, okay? That's why it's an unattainable wish. And if we want to express the same thing in a past time, 
we use the pluperfect subjunctive with utinam. Take a look at the uh, at the letter B there. Um, utinam petrum vidices. Would that you had seen Peter, or oh, I wish that you had seen Peter, but you didn't. He was here a few days ago. I wish that you had seen him, but in fact, you didn't see him. So it's an unattainable wish. It didn't happen. Introduced by utinam plus the subjunctive. Pluperfect subjunctive in the past time, imperfect subjunctive in the present time. Those are two good examples. Present time, utinam petrus adhuc viveret. Oh, I wish that Peter were still living, but he's not. And the pastime, utinam petrum vidices. Ah, I wish, would that, I wish that you had seen Peter, but you did not. Okay, so that's not a very difficult uh, point of grammar. And as you can tell, it does build on our knowledge of the use of the imperfect and pluperfect subjunctives in contrary to fact conditions. Here in unattainable wishes. Okay. And our last point of grammar in this unit is found on page 216, and it's simply basically a footnote to what we've known before. Uh, this is uh, using the subjunctive in indirect statements. Now, we've encountered the indirect statement uh, introduced by uh, the subordinated conjunctions quod, quia, or quoniam, all meaning the same thing, that. Um, and we've seen those statements up until this time basically using the indicative. Um, that's fine, and you will see it very often. But as the, point, as the grammar is pointed out here by Collins, the use of the subjunctive in such clauses will emphasize the grammatical subordination of the indirect statement. So it's, it's not um, something that you'll see all the time. You will often see the indicative in these quod, quia, or quoniam cl clauses introduced by a verb of thinking, knowing, saying, or sense perception. But we will sometimes see the subjunctive. That's all that basically is being said here. Take a look at the examples. In venimus quod Paulus Romam Yam Isset, we discovered, we found out, quod, that Paulus Paul Yam Isset had already gone to Rome. Notice Romam, the name of a city, town, small island, Domus and Rus, or Rus, uh, in the accusative without a preposition. And the verb Isset, a pluperfect subjunctive. So we discovered that Paul had already, yam, already gone, romam, to Rome. Um, could have used the indicative there, but uh, here chooses to use the subjunctive uh, simply because it's a subordinate clause. Uh, second example, credunt quia Christus sit dominus. They believe quia that. You could have had quod, you could have had quonion, either one, uh, either of those. They believe that Christus sit dominus, that Christ is Lord. Could have said, credunt quia Christus est dominus, and it would basically mean the same thing. So there's something that really you won't have to worry about if you notice that the subjunctive is used 
it's just an idea that the uh, the substantive clause there is uh, a subordinate clause, but uh, you won't have any trouble in translating it. So you see that this unit is uh, quite simple because of the fact that we had already introduced the pluperfect subjunctive, the contrary to fact conditions. And our major, major points of grammar here, just to review, are those found on page 215. The clauses of fearing or fear clauses, as we call them. The important thing to remember is that they are um, just the opposite of what you'd expect. With a clause of fearing, there's a main verb that uh, means to fear or to be afraid. And if it, and the, the clause is introduced by nay, it's a positive fear clause. If it's introduced by ut, it's a negative fear clause. So an affirmative fear clause with nay and negative fear clause with ut. And then, of course, the unattainable wishes, usually introduced by the word utinam, would that, oh that, I wish that. And then the imperfect subjunctive for present time or the pluperfect subjunctive for past time unattainable wish mirroring in a certain sense the same way we use the imperfect and pluperfect subjunctives in contrary to fact conditions. Okay, so that concludes our grammar for Unit 25, a rather simple grammatical unit. Uh, you have there your uh, uh, lists of vocabulary words on page 216 and 217, your vocabulary notes. Please pay close attention to those. And for homework... Uh, this week, I'd like you to take a look at the drills on page 218. There are lots of examples of uh, past time uh, contrafactual conditions. Um, let's do those five, and let's do the clauses of fearing just to give you a lot of practice on those two important points of grammar. And then for the exercises, I would have you do the odd-numbered sentences in the exercises on page 219 and 220. The odd-numbered, one, three, five, and so on. And for our readings on page 220, let's do number one, the Salve Regina by Herman Contractus in around 1050 A.D. Uh, we all know the Salve Regina is certainly in English, and maybe many of you know it in Latin. This will give us a nice chance to look at the grammar of the Latin prayer. And if you don't know it in Latin, it'd be nice for you to commit it to memory in Latin. Um, so that will be our homework for Unit 25. Uh, the grammar here is quite simple, I think, uh, largely review. Uh, the big thing to remember is that fear clause, which is rather strange and counterintuitive to what we've learned before. But once you've got that locked into your brain, you'll have no trouble when you encounter a clause of fearing in an actual Latin sentence. So thank you for your attention this week. Uh, good luck in your studies. Keep at it, and we will be back with you midweek with your homework assignment. Have a great day.